1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and this is Made With Love. As a pro diver, I thought I knew all about making the thing you love the thing you do. But en route to the Olympic podium, I found a new passion outside of the pool that helped me unlock my power within it. That passion was knitting. And you may think this sounds bonkers, but I believe knitting made me an Olympic champion. I've since swapped swimming trunks for slip stitches, pikes for patterns, and chlorine for cables. Knitting is a huge part of my life now, and I'm determined to help others do more of what they love too. So each week, a brilliant guest will be joining me to talk about turning passion into purpose. How they've made the thing they love a central part of what they do, and crucially, what lessons they've learned along the way. Hello, it is Tom here, and I'm back with another episode of Made With Love. Today, we're going transatlantic, and I'm catching up with celebrity cook and TV presenter, Anthony Porofsky, who's best known for being one of the Fab Five that hosts Emmy Award-winning show, Queer Eye. Along with his co-hosts, Kamara Brown, Jonathan Van Ness, Tan France, and Bobby Burke, Anthony is loved the world over, and I really mean loved. Since the show started in 2018, all five have been catapulted into the spotlight, sharing their message of love and acceptance along the way. If you never watched it, they each bring their own specific area of expertise and try to help everyday heroes, making their lives happier, healthier and generally more fabulous. The visual transformations are amazing, but it's the changes that happen on the inside that really stay with you. And if you're already a fan, then you'll know it's a show that's absolutely bursting with heart. And heart is something that's very important to Anthony because he's the food and wine expert on the show. And with no classical chef training, love and connection is what really drives his passion for food. I have no doubt we're all going to be ravenous by the end of this episode, but I'm hoping we'll pick up more than cooking tips from Anthony. So let's meet him. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me on Made With Love. Thank you so much for having me. Yay! I, I feel like I should say Witam. Is that right? Witam, yes. Witam, damn. I was like, yeah. oh, I was just trying to practice. Polish, right? For welcome.
1: Yes. And you're in New York right now? I'm in New York, yeah. New York is home. It's been home for about 12 years-ish. And it's lunchtime there now, right? It is lunchtime. Um, I had my eggs this morning, not that you asked, but I had... <laughs> um, two orders of the egg white sous-vides from Starbucks um, I don't usually eat those every day but I was in a rush and then I'm going to have a smoothie and a nice little salad in a little bit
2: okay that was literally my next question is that what are you going to be making for lunch
1: I mean if, you, if you're going to be cooking you're going to be making
2: something exciting
1: so I got some really exciting um, Eataly is one of my favorite grocery Yum. stores here in New York and they have incredible uh, different varieties of radicchio and all these different colors um, so I'm going to do a nice little bitter green salad just to get my veggies in. And then I'm going to do a smoothie with almond milk and a vegan protein powder and a lot of peanut butter, shocking amounts of cinnamon. And so uh, what else? Probably like a cup of bone broth. I have frozen mm-hmm. bone broth that I like to do on rainy days. It always makes me feel cozy. Or you put that in the smoothie or you like, just no, separate. no, 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 okay. no, separate. <laughs> sorry, okay. no, no, I'll... no, 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 it's like three different things, a lot of liquids, but yeah. Amazing.
2: I mean, lots of us will know you from Queer Eye. And I've got to ask, when is the next season coming?
1: Very good question. I, I genuinely, I'm not just saying this. <laughs> I have no idea. Netflix is um, in, incredibly secretive. We usually find out about two to three weeks before it it happens. And then we figure out if we're going to be doing press, how much of it in New York or LA. We get our assets and our little trailers and clips and stuff to post. So it all it all pretty much happens in real time and then we're left scrambling and um and just figuring it out. But there is a new season coming out. Uh, we filmed it in New Orleans this past summer, which was really great, despite it being the height of uh, hurricane season. So my Pitbull Rescue Neon um, neon the mutt on Instagram for anybody who cares oh, cute. Um, she was terrified she hates storms but uh, we made it through where did the name neon come from that was her shelter given name um, it was early pandemic I was in Austin filming Queer Eye and we were one day shy of finishing our first episode and the world kind of came to a standstill my boyfriend at the time now fiance Kevin came to visit me for my birthday for two days and he was like things are pretty serious in New York I was like everything will be fine. This pandemic isn't a big deal. He came and then literally within two days, he saw me watching the news and he was like, you have the same look on your face that I did. And it dawned on me how serious it was. And he ended up living there. And so we were there together for like three to four months. And I went from having too much on my plate to literally nothing at all. Sorry for the food comparison. And I decided (laughs) to foster a dog, which was a fail like so many. And now I have this 50 pound pit bull that follows me around wherever I go oh but
2: so cute and i love that neon's got her own instagram i love it she has her own instagram
1: she's her face is on a pet food company that i started with jvn and she's it's a very codependent relationship yeah i love her but that was just the name they gave her at the shelter and we were like this is so freaking weird we just couldn't change it
2: have you always loved dogs or
1: just animals in general i definitely was a dog in a previous life i've always been drawn to them I have a love of uh, corgis that is very much depicted in the early seasons of Queer Eye as well. I just, I love all, there's something about dogs. They're like, it's the perfect example of unconditional love. They're so, they're shamelessly affectionate. Like she's very big with her paws. Like she'll just like slap you if she wants to be pet. doesn't matter if I'm on a Zoom, if I'm in a therapy session, if I'm meditating, she's just, she's completely shameless. And I love that about her.
2: Oh, it's so cute. So in between seasons and shooting, do you all,
1: like the Fab Five, hang out as
2: often as we all hope that you do?
1: We genuinely, like, I mean, so we live in different cities. Tan is in Salt Lake. Uh, Bobby and Karamo are in LA, but Karamo's been actually filming in Connecticut on the Karamo show. And JVN is in Austin, but also has a place in uh, in New York. So it's like whenever we see each other, like this past weekend, we had a a, a very kind of like an impromptu engagement party with my fiance and so I invited them all of course and everyone was able to make it except Bobby he was in Philly for work and he was trying to come in last minute and he couldn't but everyone else was able to show up so we see each other whenever we can and whenever we're doing press stuff we all eat meals together we're very we've shared a trailer since day one and that hasn't changed for better or worse but I actually think it's for better because it's just sort of it's created like a sense of family so we've seen each other in all of our moods which I think is really
2: I can imagine it's like that with my diving teammates. I go away to a competition. You end up knowing way too much about them, like always yep. TMI. And you're just like, but then you get to a point where you're so familiar with them that you almost like can't live without them. They're just
1: like, yeah, your, exactly. your family. We totally. fight Like family. We love like family. We have a group chat that Bobby started before we were even cast for the show, which was a little delusional or just <laughs> a, a little very confident. Maybe he had like a crystal ball. I don't know. But, um, we still send each other stupid memes. And when silly articles come out, when then Bobby's usually the first one to find them on a Google search because he has alerts for all of us.
2: Who's the most annoying trailer pal?
1: Ooh. <laughs> I know that's like we're going in with the big questions here now. Most annoying. I would say it's a tie. Oh, okay. Because Bobby is always too hot and Karamo always too cold. So it's constantly a fight figuring out whether we're blasting the AC or opening up the windows so that we can like warm it up a little. And that's a constant source of debate.
2: I was expecting that none of them are annoying. They're all great.
1: Oh, <laughs> They're like... I love all of them. They never get on my nerves. <laughs> yeah. You love you know, them the... all the time. They're great. I, I'm sure we drive each other crazy. I mean, I leave my stuff laying around everywhere and like snacks that I start and don't finish and coffee cups everywhere. JVN comes in with, you know, a lot of hair products and stuff and is super energetic and Tan is usually in a corner with a fork and knife cutting up his, his, uh, his chips, his French fries. I just said (laughs) chips because you're a Brit. I always say French fries. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) But um, I'd say Tan is like the most organized and most like in his corner and doesn't take up too much space. And the, and the rest of us, the other four, we kind of, I'm like a mix of, of the two.
2: Okay. Wow. It's like, you know, I can, I can only imagine like to be a fly on the wall. I mean, I guess Queer Eye, the show really is kind of a fly on the wall in your relationship. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I've been a fan for years,
1: but I'd love to take you back
2: to, I guess, where it all began. And what is your earliest memory of food?
1: Oh, yapko sedekin. This was my favorite snack. So it was basically like a nice tart, green apple, thinly sliced, a little bit of lemon juice, and a thin slice of either Havarti or like a Swiss or a Gruyere or an Emmenthaler. I loved the combination. I've been obsessed with food comp like pairings since I was a little kid. And my very favorite snack, especially when I was like, quote unquote, sick at home and didn't want to go to school was thin apple slices with cheese. It was my favorite. I loved it. Just like the tartness with the creaminess, and a bit of like the funk of the cheese or like the saltiness was that was like that that was my ultimate ultimate pairing
2: it's so funny you say that because i used to have that before bed as like a little we used to call it supper after our dinner we would i would just have like i mean they probably weren't like really thin slices of apple it was just like whatever my mum could chop up with some like chunks of cheese but it is so good and you have polish parents right so is that like was that a polish thing or was that just something that you liked exploring different food combinations
1: I think it was just exploring different food combinations. I mean, we're all very, my parents are both Polish. We are all deeply obsessed with talking about food. I only realized the uniqueness of that when I started to talk to other friends and what their experiences were like with food. But like, If we went to a restaurant together, if we went on a trip, the whole family would analyze from the bread basket to the way the butter was served, to the appetizer, to the main, to the desserts. And then we would come home and my mother would kind of recreate the meal and figure out how to make it better. And I'm that exact same person.
2: Wow, that's that's kind of fun though. But it does like going out for food. is such like an event and some families do it all the time at home or some people like to go out, but it is in, a way of bringing
1: people together in a sense, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's. I think it's the ultimate connector. You know, I, I come from a very loving family, but I can also say that we were really dysfunctional and communication just wasn't necessarily a forte, you know, and that's something that, you know, I go through therapy all the time but like sitting at the table at the end of the day after swim practice hair just like reeking of chlorine my father (laughs) coming back from his shift at work and my mother presenting this meal it was like the one time where we would just all laugh and get along mayhem and every other facet of our lives but dinner was always it was sacred and that's what I remembered from being a kid and that was really probably one of my like most fondest memories growing up
2: it is special to have that like we do that with robbie as well we make an a conscious effort every day i mean we now eat dinner at 5 p.m because of Mm -hmm. it but like having those moments together as a family to talk about your day or like your what you feel it's i mean it's important and like you say now you have so many memories from your childhood and being around a dinner table like who who actually taught you to cook in that way and get you excited about food
1: So, yeah, but I mean, just touching on like, you know, this, this ritual of having dinner with your family, I think it's incredibly important because just the visual of watching my parents prepare something, setting the table and kind of partaking in that it showed me that they love me without them saying it. And that's something that I, that I still try to continue today, whether I'm doing it for my fiance or I have friends over, or making a big vat of chili and bringing some over to a friend or whatever it is. But in terms of learning to cook, my mother is very much like me, I, I wasn't allowed to partake. And it was something I had to sit on the other end of the counter and kind of watch her do her thing. And so I learned by kind of observing and just studying. And then when mm-hmm. I was left on my own, left, left on my own, it's not like they abandoned me. I like <laughs> went to college and moved in with a roommate. Yes, It's incredible how many of those, those lessons and kind of like those rules about how to treat certain vegetables and having the oil in a pan be hot before you put eggplant in or whatever it is, it all kind of like stuck with me. And I think, you know, there are many different ways of 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 learning and I'm definitely very visual. And it's kind of, it's surprising to me even to this day when I think about it. And it's like so much that I learned and I didn't get to practice until I had to. I was left to kind of like fend for myself and I wanted to feed my roommate. And I'm I'm that person too. I always want to be, I was watching, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Sameen Nasrat. She has a great series on Netflix called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Uh, for anyone who hasn't checked it out, it's really beautiful. And she says, whenever she has people over, she tries to have them engage in preparing something, whether it's cutting up an avocado, learning how to tear the leaves off of a Boston or a bib or butter lettuce, um, washing the greens so that they feel like they're part of the process and they get to learn something. I so wish I were that person, but I'm also (laughs) like, no, like I want my shallots cut a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like the meat has to be cut on a bias. Like the carrots, you have to leave the stems on because they get crispy and they're really delicious. Like I'm so So I want to get better at it because even, you know, Kev, my fiance, will ask like, oh, can I help with anything? And he always knows it's like an empty question because he knows I'm going to be like, no, you know what? You just go sit down, make me a a little mocktail or like make some tea and like I'm going to do dinner. It's fine. Don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, no, I I can. I'm similar in the kitchen, to be honest, because I'm like a control freak in in the same way. But I feel like that's an athlete thing, though. Like I always have had certain routine and you have to take control of what you're doing because you're putting your body through all of these Exercises and all of these routines, mm-hmm. and you don't actually get, you know, much chance to be able to do something for yourself where you can actually, because really, like cooking is like a really creative process and not just about
1: following a recipe all the time. Totally. I mean, I'm definitely not a recipe follower. If I get like, I'm in my uh, in my like den office right now, and this is the room where I keep all the cookbooks, and I have so many of them. I've not once ever followed a recipe except if it's baking because I'm terrible and it's so calculated. And you just can't mess around with it as much as you can with like direct manipulation over a gas stove, for example, or even roasting veggies and turning them halfway through. And so I always kind of just like glance over the recipe. I'm like, okay, like this is the gist of it. I don't have paprika. I want to use sumac. I want something a little more citrusy and something a little more tart and tangy. And then I kind of figure out how to make it my own. So it's kind of like learn the rules and then, and then break the mentality. And it's the same way with any like cookbook or recipes that I develop. It's like everything is literally like, oh, you put a handful in. And so I need like a brilliant co-author like Mindy Fox who helps me. And she's like always trying to like get rid of the clutter. She's a brilliant editor. And she's like, okay, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Like stop overcomplicating your life, which I'm very good at.
2: Yeah, that's the thing though, is it? Like sometimes that's something that people get a bit afraid of when they go into the kitchen is that they think they don't know how to cook and then they're afraid to try a new thing. Like what what piece of advice would you give to someone who didn't know where to even start in the kitchen?
1: I mean, like in life, some of the most important things that I've learned have all been through horrible mistakes <laughs> or True. assumptions that I had. And mm-hmm. I think that's the same thing with, with cooking as well. It's like roasting a chicken is such a beautiful thing, but I've messed so many of them up. I've overcooked them to death. I mean, the bird was already dead, but like I've had them undercooked and a little too pink and it's like you figure out and then you learn like, okay, well I can spatchcock it. I can ask my butcher to spatchcock the chicken so that I can cook it at a more even temperature. Do I trust the bird? If I don't trust the bird, you get like more crispy edges around uh, the drumsticks, for example. So it's, you kind of like figure it out as you go and you learn that like, it doesn't have to be perfect at the same time. We're not all Martha Stewart and I, Ina Garden. I certainly am not as much as I aspire to be. And you just have to, you have to have fun with it. And I try to, you know, the the, the chefs and the cooks and the food writers that I really respect are people who aren't precious about it, but they s- still manage to bring a certain elegance. Like Nigella Lawson, for example. Feast was the first cookbook I ever I ever opened, it was a gift that was given to me. And just like reading the way that she wrote about food made it so beautifully seductive. But when you watch her on TV, microwave aside, there's just something (laughs) so approachable and casual and enjoyable about watching her doing it. Like she genuinely enjoys herself and she's unapologetic about it. And that's kind of what I try to, to emulate whenever I can.
2: I love that because when I was growing up, I mean, I've always liked food in a way, But for me, it was always seen as like fuel and a little bit of a Mm -hmm. chore to have to eat it. And it was only when I started going to more restaurants and traveling abroad that it was because, you know, I love my grandma and I love my mum. And I'm going to definitely say that up front before I say this. But, you know, sometimes (laughs) some of the things that were cooked were slightly interesting. Like there was choice. There were choices made when boiling broccoli to put bicarbonate of soda in there so the point where it would literally be so mushy and almost pale green and you know like you say some chickens have been um made to be that you know taste like the sahara desert it is uh yeah you know although it was very bonding around the family table and you're sitting there and you're very very thankful for gravy and you smile <laughs> and the, the, the most important thing is being around the table but i am curious was food a way for you to be able to uh, have relationships with people outside of
1: your family as well to like make friends when you were growing up 100 percent. i think that emotional memory of like that connection that i had with my family whenever we were at a table that's something that i definitely tried to replicate in college when i was in groups and we were writing a paper together or something it was like one of the cheapest and easiest things to make i wanted to learn how to make risotto with risotto all you need is like a short grain arboreal rice stock whether it's mushroom, veggie, chicken, beef, but it'll be a little too intense and a bit of cheese if you have it and a bit of wine and an onion. And that's literally it. And so I would make like a big vat of that for friends and roast some pork tenderloins or some steaks or chicken breasts or whatever we had laying around. And we'd kind of create, make it into like a potluck situation. And that's how I'm in my relationships as well. I haven't, you know, most of my relationships have been most with people who don't necessarily cook. And so I love that because it's sort of, I don't know. I feel like expressing love can be challenging sometimes or something very vulnerable about it, but presenting them with like a meal that I engaged in, it's recreating that memory that I had of watching my parents making food for me. And it's just trying to kind of pass that on for other people as well. And I love making food for people. There's nothing more enjoyable than having someone try something and being like, wow, I never really looked at celery leaves as like an enjoyable thing, but like I'm obsessed with celery leaves. I think they're so underappreciated. They should be thrown into everything um okay and and having somebody discover something new and try something and be like wow they're like that's actually really good i get so much out of it too
2: i don't think i've ever tried celery leaves and i feel like I, I feel like
1: i need to now they have such a nice sharpness and they're always it's like it's the treat that you have in the center of the bunch of your celery bunch when you buy them and you get to the center and you just have these like nice delicate light green leaves they're so good and- throw them on a salad next time okay on a piece of fish or chicken It's a free ingredient. It already comes with it, you know?
2: Because I was like, do you use it as like, yeah, like a garnish? Or
1: is it actually something that has like quite an intense flavor? There's a sharpness to it, but the light yellow ones are a little more mellow. Um, And I always like, I sprinkle it on a salad with like either pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds. It's like, I like to have like a, I love a garnish.
2: (laughs) I'm curious now when you say about control in the kitchen, when it comes to things like Thanksgiving, or christmas or any kind of like potluck situation where people are bringing things do people Mm -hmm. get scared to bring stuff because i think i I feel like i would be terrified about bringing something over for you to try
1: (laughs) i i have gotten this before and i was uh, a really good friend of mine beth who i met um she helped with catering and a lot of recipe testing in kansas city when we were filming there and she's become one of my closest friends and she's like a chef chef who has a restaurant and what she told me is like people often get intimidated of making food for her. But the point is like if someone serves her burnt toast with butter, she doesn't really care because they made it. And there's something so nice in like having a little break every once in a while and having somebody else make something for you. So I really don't get like, for sure, I have my opinions. The only thing is if something is under salted, that's a bit of a pet peeve because you don't get to taste all the ingredients. A little bit of flake salt goes a really long way. But I I, I do appreciate it. and I love trying new things, especially with I'm Canadian and we have Thanksgiving in Canada, but it's a month earlier. And we do not have like a sweet potato casserole with cornflakes and marshmallows and syrup on it. Like It's a very different experience. <laughs> so learning about how Americans literally have every single animal and vegetable on the table during this like one day of the year has been a lot of fun and I I do try to like insert myself wherever I can because my comfort zone is the kitchen. I do get social anxiety, even amongst loved ones, probably especially around family. And so I love being in the kitchen. So it's like whenever somebody wants me to make something, it's like I always jump on the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, talking about Thanksgiving, my husband is American, so my gosh, some of the things he introduced, like you talk about that sweet potato casserole. I think some people in the UK will be blown away to know how much sugar, like condensed milk, eggs like all these ra- and then lance did it with these like mini marshmallows on top and mm-hmm. sometimes he does it with like a candied walnut and yeah yeah then you yeah. put like gravy on top of it and you're like what on it's earth? like
1: sweet on sweet on sweet it's very it, it it's definitely very very intense and i can only have it once a year and like a little spoon of it
2: i can't lie i do actually really like it when i have it but it, it is, it's it, it was a very weird con it, it's good did you grow up mainly in canada then montreal right before you moved to the u.s
1: Yes, yeah. So I was born in Montreal. My parents are um are from Poland, although my father was born in Brussels. He was and he emigrated to Canada when he was very young, but Polish um, uh, descendants. And basically, yeah, I was there until elementary school. And Then I moved to West Virginia. I was there for a few years. And then my parents were kind of like potentially going through a separation. So I went back to Montreal and then they got back together. So I went back to West Virginia and then back to Montreal. So I kind of had a bit of an army brat um, experience without having my parents being in the army where I moved around a lot. But then as soon as I finished university in Montreal, I wanted to pursue acting and New York was where I wanted to be. And I just made that decision and I moved. I thought I'd be here for a couple of years and then go back to Montreal because I love my city, but I've, I fell in love with New York and I haven't left since. Mm. And what did you study at university before pursuing Psy- acting? Psychology, but not to help oh. other people. I wanted to figure out my own existential angst. I was kind of like dealing with my own, my own issues. But um, I didn't have the grades to pursue a master's. It's very competitive in Canada because a lot of it is government funded as well as it is in the UK, I'm pretty sure. And and um, I decided, you know what, I got my bachelor's. We have a lot of physicians in my family. And I was like, I did the thing. I went to university. I want to go actually pursue my dream and be an actor now.
2: So it's interesting that you say that, especially because food has played such a big part in your career now. Like was food never on the cards for any kind of university studying or going to, I don't know, cookery school of some sort?
1: not in a professional capacity. It was something that was always kind of personal. And so when um, a good friend of mine, Jameson mentioned that, you know, uh, he was like, I heard the Queer Eyes being rebooted. They want to do it on Netflix. They want it very documentary driven and they want it to be more of a conversation where we get to know the Fab Five's lives and the heroes' lives, kind of like go more in in depth. And I was met with like, I just got like a chill down my spine because it was like, okay, food, personal and talking about my personal life and sexuality, also very personal, and it wasn't anything that I wanted to share with the public, but I was so afraid. And this is where uh, a mentor, a good friend of mine, Klaus, was basically telling me like, well, you have to audition for it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm having this like averse response to doing it. He was like, well, if you don't get it, you're going to live in regret. But if you try it and you don't get it, at least you'll know you'll try, you, you would have tried and you're already thinking about it anyway. So you might as well just lean into the fear. And I've tried to remember that with everything that I approach. I'm constantly met with fear on a daily basis, but I try not to be ashamed about it. And I try to lean into it because this weird glitch in my brain also tells me like I get off on the fear and seeing what's on the other side. If that makes Um, any sense.
2: uh, Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same thing in diving. Whenever I've stood on the end of a diving board and I've been absolutely terrified to try a new dive and like, is it possible? Will I be able to make it? And it's one of those things where you don't try it. you'll never know and then you always live in that like oh if only I tried this maybe I could have done it and you know you could live in that constant fear and you question yourself and sometimes I I found that you just kind of have to you know dive in and just go for it but how did you manage to stay mentally resilient in those times to like just let yourself take the leap of faith
1: I think well look if I'm perfectly honest it's I was working in a restaurant for 10 plus years After I graduated from a conservative acting conservatory, the neighborhood playhouse here in New York, I landed a manager, I was landing some auditions, but I wasn't necessarily getting the work that I wanted to get. And so I worked in a restaurant and there's nothing against working in the service industry as a life career, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I was in my early thirties. I kind of pivoted to working as a personal assistant for Ted Allen randomly, who's the original food and wine expert on Queer Eye. Then I shifted to like working in a gallery to try to have like a normal nine to six job because I just wanted to have a little bit more stability and not be out at night. And then when Queer Eye came along, another friend of mine who I consider a mentor, PJ was telling me like, he was always, I've had a lot of people try to like push me towards food throughout a lot of key moments. But I was so stubborn because I had this singular vision of what I wanted to do and what I wanted my life and my career to look like. And then I decided that like, you know what, like, it's not exactly working out the way that I had planned. So like, why not try this? And I think curiosity I just decided to lean into my curious side to just kind of see what was on the other side of that dive, you know?
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, this is something that I've experienced and I'm curious if you've experienced the same thing. I'm, I mean, I started knitting in March, 2020 and I became obsessed with it. And one thing that lots of people have said to me has, well, again, this is social media, you know, social media, people can say all kinds of things, but you know, obviously I wasn't trained in fashion school to do any of that. I, w- I literally just took, I just taught myself on YouTube and it was something mm-hmm. that I fell in love with so deeply and became completely addicted to. And then starting Made With Love, I was all of a sudden being able to pass on this passion to other people to be able to try and learn to knit. But do you ever get that kind of like blowback because you haven't necessarily been to a cookery school and you haven't trained In the the same highest level, but you've really grounded yourself in the passion and experience side of it. Of
1: course, I mean, I think I always lead with whenever anyone refers to me as a chef. Different people on the interwebs will have different definitions of what that is, but I've known a lot of chefs who went to culinary school, who trained and actually got that education, that certification, and so I like to refer to myself as a home cook, for many reasons. One because out of respect for chef friends of mine. It's kinda, it makes me think of uh, Trevor Noah's memoir. He writes something in the, I'm gonna, uh, it, this isn't verbatim, but he says something about like, if if you're not part of a club, then you're not owned by them and you're able to be independent and kind of have your own voice. And that's kind of how he's uh, lived a lot of his life. And so by not referring to my chef and, and the freedom of being a home cook, I try to kind of like lean into that. But like, look, when Queer Eye came out, I got so much flack. So we filmed all of the episodes, And then they were, um, since it's not a, a, a linear show, they kind of like mix the episodes around. And in the first two episodes, I used an avocado. And so people were like, oh, he's the avocado guy. It's all he knows how to make. There was like guac, and then there was a salad with Supremes of like citrus. And so I got a lot of flack for it. And, you know, I love avocados. I've been eating them since I was a kid, but I'm not that obsessed with it. There are a lot of other ingredients, like lemons that I'm a much bigger fan of.
2: And celery leaves. But I
1: just... And celery leaves. Exactly. I should be the <laughs> yeah. celery leaf guy. That's my yeah, next exactly. endorsement. But then once I decided to kind of like lean in and be part of that discussion, it's like work opportunities came from it, working with either avocados from Mexico or different guacamole brands. And I decided to just be like part of the joke. It also ties into, I bring up therapy a lot because you know, uh, everything for me is therapy and I've been going since I was 17. But my therapist taught me early on that with these situations, especially with having a public facing life. There are stories out there that are true, that are untrue. Sometimes I want to like clap back and comment back whenever I do, it never ends well for me. And what she taught me was like in any given conflict that you're faced with in life, you can do nothing. You can try to change the situation. You can change the way you look at the situation or it's a combination of both. And I think shifting my perspective and the way I look at situations has been so incredibly helpful because I'm a pathological people pleaser. It's how I was conditioned. And it's what I'm trying to figure out how not to be. Like I really admire the Harrison Fords out there and the Kim Cattralls who were just like, I don't care what people say about me. I just want to go to places where I'm happy. I'm referencing an Evan Ross Katz post that I saw earlier this morning, but it really resonated with me. And so I learned that, you know, when you have a public facing job, it's actually physically impossible to have everyone love you. Someone is always gonna have an opinion about the way you stir, where you put your towel, the ingredients that you use, how complicated your recipe is, or how simple it is. And so I learned to just like stay in my own lane, pay attention to what's going on. And if I'm going to read the good comments, I have to embrace the bad comments as well. So now I'm at a stage of like, I just don't look at the comments. Cause if I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and if I read something about someone saying something weird about, I don't know, my nose, Um, or even my food or whatever it is, then I can totally spiral. So I've learned to just like, kind of like stay in my own lane with it.
2: I totally get that. And it's like like being the home cook, is such an interesting like take on it because then you're able to pave your own path and like you're doing your own thing. You can do the things that you're interested in. And I find it really interesting when you say like, you know, not responding or saying no is a choice. And it's sometimes a difficult one because I'm similar, like a total people pleaser and I always want to be able to say yes and try and do everything and I find myself constantly running out of time for everything to be able and then I'm late and then all of a sudden the things that I enjoy and like to do I run out of time for and totally I feel like that's kind of a similar thing with cooking though it almost feels like the ultimate form of people pleasing in a way because you want to make people happy with what you've put in front do you ever feel pressure when you're
1: trying something new with friends and family absolutely absolutely the best advice that I don't take is if you're hosting a dinner party, make the thing you've made a hundred times so you can't mess it up so you can do it with your eyes closed. I can't help myself. And I'm like, ah Otolenghi posted a really cool faro salad <laughs> with a really interesting vinaigrette. I'm going to try that. I'm going to yes. go get a bunch of things that I've never, you know, spices that I don't even have in my spice drawer. And I'm going to like try this thing out for the first time. Sometimes it works out. Other times it doesn't. But I think that it's, you know, it is people pleasing, but it's also pleasing myself because I feel like it's always trying to to recreate that Norman Rockwellian picture of like the happy family sitting at the table and just wanting to give that experience to other people, the theater of it, of like presenting the food. I think that's why I love being a server, a waiter so much is because I was able to be part of that and explain the menu and make suggestions and be confident about my choices and just giving people like a nice positive experience that they could remember.
0: Yeah,
2: no, I mean, it is a thing though. Going out for dinner is like a, I mean, it's been a social thing for for years and people like, especially in like big cities, people congregate around food, like let's go for dinner, mm-hmm. let's go in and go out for a meal or come over to my house for dinner. There's all of these things and it's such a beautiful thing. And I love the way that that brings communities together as well within Queer Eye. And I'm so curious to know, like, did you have any idea how successful the reboot was going to be?
1: Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I was like, you know what? If we get one season, we're lucky. I remember calling my my agent, our agent actually, because we share one. I know, how funny is that, yeah. I know, small world. And I remember telling him, I was like, the season's wrapped. We just spent five months in Atlanta filming two seasons. I was like, I think I'm really quiet. No one's gonna see me on the show and or the show's gonna get canceled. What's our next move? What are we doing? And he was like, hold your horses, just relax. Let's wait and see till it comes out and we'll see what happens. And then we'll strategize and we'll figure out a game plan after that. I even remember um, I took Tan on a, on a family trip to the Caribbean and we were sitting in the water and we were just like looking out. And it was, this was probably like a month before the show came out. And he was like, do you think our lives are going to change at all once the show comes out? I was like, Tanny, I really don't know. I was like, I'm really, I'm really not sure, but like, this might just be like a tiny little blip, but at least, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for other jobs. But I think we were both optimistic, but very cautiously so. Like we were, we kept our, We I love keeping my low expectations so that I'm pleasantly surprised. upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com upgrade
2: i mean it's such a flex to be able to cook because i feel like it has so many uses as well like i mean you must have used it to woo your fiance a little bit as well and be like you know
1: absolutely (laughs) actually um this is a funny anecdote we were talking about it the other day on our on our first one of our first dates, and he was over, and I had it. There was this company called Lenny and Larry's. They do these protein cookies, and there's a snickerdoodle one. And I like laid it out on a plate, just like as a snack. And I like went to like put on a sweater or something. And he went into the kitchen and saw the cookie, and he took a bite. And he was like, "Wow!" He's like, this, "This is a really good cookie." And he <laughs> thought that I made it because I threw the packaging out. I wasn't trying to like pretend that I bake. I can't bake for shit. um and then he came out he was like that was a really good cookie i was like that's a lenny and larry cookie i literally picked up in the bodega but yes i did make meals for him i love cooking for him especially i think during the pandemic when i was faced with you know being um, in austin away from home there were so many things that i couldn't control And what I could control was, well, whatever ingredients were available, but like was the food that I was, you know, putting into my body and the food that I was preparing for him. So I became obsessed with eggs because I know that he loves eggs with everything bagel seasoning and a bit of ketchup. So I wanted to perfect how to make perfectly soft scrambled eggs the way that I have in Paris whenever I visit. And I tried it out a million different ways. And now I'm like confidently a pro at like sourcing really good farm eggs with those bright orange yolks like you get in Europe and then figuring out how to take take the eggs off of the heat off of the stove. Cause they continue cooking in the pan. Cause I hate an overdone egg. Um, they have to be like fully cooked, but like really still nice and creamy. Um, and yeah, I love it. It's like, look, we both have stressful jobs sometimes and we both get overwhelmed. And if at the end of the day, nothing makes me happier than being able to make like I defrosted some grass fed beef fillets that I'm going to make tonight. And I have some delicata squash and I'm just so excited to make like a really nice chimichurri we had one at dinner with friends yesterday and i was like oh i love the thickness of it it kind of goes back to like what i was saying earlier about like i try something and then i have to recreate it the next day and it's fun we kind of get to have it at the end of the day and watch some housewives reruns and um that's like that's the perfect night for me
2: i love like a lovely night in i mean it's i cook most nights as well like i can't say i'm particularly good at it but i used to do this thing every monday we used to have like a monday night dinner club because i find it hard especially when i was training i found it so hard to be able to see all of my friends all of the time mm-hmm. so it was easier to dedicate one night of the week and usually mo- Mondays I mean people don't tend to have that many plans on a right. Monday so yeah we'd have like a core group of like six people that would always come over and then another six people that would come over if they were visiting town or I hadn't mm-hmm. seen for a while and so that was always formed part of my Week, but then pandemic happened and then all of a sudden you know everybody was making banana bread like you know i saw if if i saw another banana bread on anyone's story you know it was it was going to be over um but now i've started to really cook with my son and being able to have that bond and i i'm so curious how his relationship with food is going to turn out because he helps me with the chopping he we got him like a bagel cutter, right? And so mm-hmm. now I come upstairs sometimes and I come up to him making like salmon cream cheese bagels.
1: He's 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 like oh, takes yeah. everything into his own hands. But look what you're teaching him. You're teaching him confidence in the kitchen to know how to like use these ingredients and what goes well together. You're teach it's it's exposure to diversity, which is incredibly important. You can show him interesting different flavors, and I really do think like trying a a spice. From a certain country is going to help him learn a little bit about the culture as well. It it sets him up for success in the world so that he can approach it in a fearless manner and just be open-minded to different perspectives and tastes and all of it. I think it's only a good thing. The best thing that parents can do is cook with their kids. I don't care how simplistic it is or how complicated, whether it's a family recipe or something new that you want to try out that you saw on TV. I think it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your child.
2: I'm glad you say that because I look back to when I was growing up and Like I said, I've got an interesting relationship with food, with fuel as an athlete, but then also like I never really tried anything other than what, you know, if your parents don't like something, you're never going to try it. So for example, my dad didn't ever like fish. So I never had any fish growing up and it wasn't until, I mean, this is going to sound really embarrassing saying this actually now, but when I was 19, I thought I was ordering halloumi, but I I obviously it might have been a couple of cocktails deep at this point. Um, and I ordered ordered halibut and uh, I just
1: very different it. flavor profile. <laughs> very,
2: very different. But it arrived, and I was sat, sitting next to Lance, who at the time wasn't really even my boyfriend. He had just flown over from America, and I was just like, Well, I can't just like be like, sorry, I can't, I, I don't want this because it's fish. And mm-hmm. I was like, I tried it and I was like, ah. Like, actually, this is pretty good. Like, why have I not had any fish my whole life? And that was something, you know, I've tried to be conscious with with Robbie is because just because you don't like it doesn't mean someone else is going to like it. And if it's cooked in a different way, I think, you know, what would you say to people who are afraid of trying new things?
1: Look, I was the pickiest eater ever. I hated Raw tomatoes were like my trigger. I don't know why I eat them all the time in the summer now, especially when they're in season and I can get like beautiful heirloom varieties. I was so picky, but my parents forced me to eat all my veggies, to try new things. I tried sheep brain once at a French restaurant that I really didn't want to have. And I somehow like enjoyed it, or maybe it was a like cow brain. I forget, but like all these things that I really didn't like, it was like the piano, for example, I hated, my parents for forcing me to take piano lessons every single week when i was a kid and then when i grew up and i was in college and i wanted to impress a girl who i thought i was in love with at the time i had this like skill set and i was able to figure out how to play cold plays a scientist for her even though she ran out of the room and ended up leaving me for somebody else it's fine life ended oh. up okay but my point is is like instilling all of these things into kids and i'm not a parent obviously yet but i do think it's important because at some point they're at least going to have that knowledge or that that the exposure to it or like that history with it so that it's going to be a little less intimidating
0: Mm,
2: totally obviously the world is ever-changing and there's you know environmental factors to that and you know there's been lots of talk about how much meat we should consume and all that kind of stuff like what do you see being the future of food and what people eat
1: very interesting question i think Look, I definitely try to engage in like a couple of plant-based days whenever I can or figuring out how to cut animal proteins. The effects that cows have on all of that, like it's 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 very much undeniable. I'm definitely a follower of science. That said, I do think that as human beings, we are inherently brats. We want what we want when we want it, especially in New York where you can order whatever you want and have it at your doorstep within 30 minutes. I'm very big into, and I'm saying this as I've worked with a company in the past, full disclosure, but I really do like them. Beyond Meat is a great meat alternative. I make taco bowls with like cauliflower rice during the week and I buy like their ground meat version of it instead of buying ground beef, for example. So I try to make cuts wherever I can, but um, I have like looked into this and I do think it's it's really fascinating because in 2012, it cost $350,000 to replicate a ground beef patty using the cells. So the cow is still alive. You can see it walking through that field, but you can extract some cells and kind of like grow them in a lab, however the hell they do it, and it tastes just like beef. Five years later, we've brought it down to, I think like 15 or $20 for a patty. As soon as that cost gets lower and we figure out how to mass produce it, I think that's definitely gonna help in a really big way. There's also a wonderful, I forget her name right now, but there's a, a scientist in Israel, who wants to leave a better planet to her kids. And she's uh, an expert on 3D printing. And she's figured out, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm very excited to. And David Chang has a series about this as well, which everyone should check out, where she created a Wagyu steak. So the magic of Wagyu is that the protein and the fat are perfectly marbleized. And using 3D printing, she's able to replicate that steak. So I think there's so many interesting, fascinating things that are going on. Kelp, I think is definitely gonna have a moment. It's so nutrient dense. We just haven't figured it out because it's slimy and it's gross and it needs to be made a little more palatable. So we need to figure out how to process it correctly so that people can actually enjoy it. But I don't think that it's, you know, everybody going fully plant-based. I just don't think that that's realistic. That said, I, I'm always wary of like one specific hard, fast rule. I like a bit of keto, a little bit of paleo, a little bit of plant-based, a little bit of pescatarian and a little bit of carnivore in my diet. And when I mix it up and I don't go too extreme, that's when it's sustainable for me. Everything in moderation, including moderation. Totally.
2: I mean, I I see that. And also people have different responses for their body. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's different and has different needs with what's important to them, too. So for each episode, I have asked each guest to do a little bit of a made with love letter. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a literal letter that you've written out, but. I guess to practice a little bit of gratitude in that way, to be able to say a little thank you or send a message to a person, place or a thing that has basically made you with love. Now, I Mm. don't know if you've got anything in in mind for that today, for your little made with love
1: moment. I do, because I love an assignment. Oh, good. (laughs) I reached out before and I wrote a short little letter very quickly. I didn't want it to be um, too rehearsed or too carefully thought out, but um, I mentioned earlier therapy is something that's incredibly important to me. I try not to tell people how to live their lives, but the only unsolicited advice I give, except seasoning things when they come out of the fryer, because then they taste bland or adding lemon zest to anything, which is like a free ingredient that already comes with the lemon and it's incredible, Um, you know, mental health awareness and therapy are something that have been incredibly important to me. I come from a lot of like mental health issues in my family and and schizophrenia and personality disorders. And so it's always been top of mind for me. I've been going to therapy on and off since I was 17. And uh, my most recent therapist, I've been with her for about like seven or eight years, Carol. She's incredible. I started working with her maybe a year or two before Queer Eye started. And she was there during this like really important chapter of switching over to what my life is like now, because there was... A lot of great things that happened and there were a lot of like things that I had to adapt to and kind of like learn how to adjust if if I was going to continue to do this show. And I don't think that any of it would have been possible without her guidance and her support and her ear. So I wrote her a little letter. Yes, go for it. So dear Carol, it's strange even writing this since the dynamics of our relationship are usually kept to me speaking about myself and you listening and offering guidance and understanding. But today it's about you. I'm so grateful we get to work together every week. It's been six, maybe seven years since we met, and I can't imagine navigating through life without our weekly sessions. Because of your approach, experience, and sensibility, I've learned that while I feel a lot, I'm often challenged with and or afraid of expressing my emotions as though they exist in a language I cannot speak. You consistently remain patient and approach me with gentle curiosity so that I can feel safe in expressing whatever it is I have going on in my brain. From you, I've deepened my understanding of the fact that I'm a product of my upbringing, and my experiences, a quote you often remind me of, which states, if it's hysterical, it's historical. The power of that knowledge lies in the fact that I'm capable of changing my behavior and my outlook on life with patience, time and work. You've taught me to better love and be gentle with myself as I'm quick to self-punish and try to control things I cannot and try to fix the situation when sometimes all I need to do is ask questions and shut up and listen. I see the world and my place in it very differently today in large part because of you. And for that, I am thankful. Also, please don't ever retire, Ant.
2: Oh, that is so sweet. She's gonna be a mess listening to that. It's so sweet, it's so sweet. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been, like, been able to like say that to, to her face before in that way no
1: no because the yeah. dynamic is how are you doing like she immediately yeah. asks me it's so rare that i get snippets of her life because that's just not how the relationship works and she's good at keeping me in check so it was actually i'm, I'm grateful for this and i love this exercise because it allowed me to express something that i usually just you know am able to tell kev about or a close friend if they need a suggestion on a therapist
2: i mean that's so special and you know with everything that you've been through in your life the ups and downs and everything in between what are you hopeful for for the future what is it that is getting you excited what are the passions that are driving you forward from here on out
1: i mean definitely look queer eye has been such a a life-changing experience and i love our little you know this like boy band situation that we have of, of of having experiences from the beginning and as much as i love them dearly i think it's all of us you know not that the question was to all of us, but I think all of us kind of are are on this path to figuring out what our singular voice is as well. And so I kind of want to lean into that. It's um, going into the show when, when they were auditioning me, I think some of the casting people and the executives were confused because I wanted to be an actor. I was obsessed with art history, uh, with postmodern art and deco. I love to cook and really interested in psychology. They couldn't really like fully put me in a box because I have so many passions. And I think I want to continue to, to figure out the other things that I'm interested in and just take on projects that aren't just about food, whether it's acting or, or activism or whatever it is truly is just kind of like learning how to always just to keep things interesting, I think, for myself and figure out what I'm good at, you know, leaning into those fears I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. Like
2: being able to lean into those fears and be able to, you know, find your little niche. I mean, you found your niche in cooking, but like you say, you're so much more than that, and people don't always get to see that. So I'm very excited to see where you go from here. So thank you so much. It's like you and knitting. because I mean, like, who would have thought, I, like, I mean, if you had told me five years ago that I was going to be knitting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like, I would have been like, I don't know, what are you talking about? Me? Like, well, in my grandma era. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can surprise yourself. If you don't try something, you never know if you're going to be any good at it. So 100%. I say just go for it. So we still don't know when the next season of Queer Eye is coming out. Sorry about that. I did my best. But... How great is Anthony? I mean, a huge thank you to him. And if you're enjoying the series so far, please let me know. You can rate and review the show. And don't forget to hit follow as well so that you never miss an episode. Made with Love was hosted by me, Tom Daly, and produced by Emma Roberts for Spiritland Productions. Our engineer today was Rich Andrews, and our assistant producer is Nadine Peters. Next week, I'll be chatting to another great guest. You're not going to want to miss it. So I will see you then.